people always say luck. You got to get lucky. There's some luck that's got to be involved in business. And I don't think it's luck. I think it's the acronym for luck, which is laboring under correct knowledge, L-U-C-K, mm. laboring under correct knowledge. When you labor under the correct knowledge that's given to you by folks that maybe you're following, maybe you're coaching somebody, you're helping give them that correct knowledge to follow, or I'm helping give them that correct knowledge. When you labor under correct knowledge, you get lucky. If you keep yes. doing the right things over and over again, you get quote unquote lucky. You don't get lucky if you're not doing the right things yeah. or laboring and putting in the work. In a world where there's so much noise and information, one podcast is on a mission to cut the fluff and get strategic. A place where you receive the latest tips to expanding your leadership, optimizing your business, and ways to become a truly peak performance human. Now, Get ready as your host, Jake Havron, is here to help you live the strategic life. Welcome back to the Strategic Life Podcast. It's your host, Jake Havron here, and I am in the studio of Life Brand in Pennsylvania. And the reason I'm here is because this human is building this company to literally a billion dollar plus exit where just a few years ago, he didn't even know that this could be possible. He has no technology background. This is a tech-based company helping you basically clean up and optimize your social media, your presence, so there's not those little random things that could come up and mess with your, your brand, your integrity. And, um, you know, I met this man. It was over a month ago at a networking event. I'll tell you so many times how important it is to just make one connection, one experience that, you know, whether it's 30 seconds or you have 30 minutes to talk, how do you leave that presence? Well, I met this man in less than one minute, got connected on social media. He saw my social media, built some integrity, and we started a conversation. Told him that I'm on the East Coast doing a trip. I'd love to interview him. And he was like, absolutely. And that meant so much to me. And so I want you to make sure that you can tune into this one because we go over literally the whole gamut of how he did his investments with people believing in him to give uh, money when there was really nothing to give to, but they believed in the person behind it. You know, how he went from literally having to sell stuff in his house just a few years ago to just make ends meet when he was about to get a million dollars and then the whole world closed with the pandemic and how that kept, you know, his family close and him and his and his wife and his, his kids. Like, what were the things that held that together? And just the mindset of just being an entrepreneur. You know, we go into so many areas you're definitely going to want to take notes on this. You're going to probably want to replay this one because there's so much wisdom in it. So without further ado, I want to introduce our guest to the show today, TJ Colesi. All right, we're rolling here. And dude, this is such a unique setup because we just did a 45-minute episode on your podcast. And uh, I, I'm, I'm actually happy you did that because it kind of got me warmed up and you got warmed up and now we're just going to just rip it here. So. Yeah, maybe we should like switch seats or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah, it's all good. But TJ, man, it's, it's great to have you here, brother. And Thank we're you. we're in your own studio. As you guys can see watching YouTube live, you'll see this. If you're listening in, I check. I recommend just go tune in on YouTube as well. But I'm here in Pennsylvania, my friend. And yeah. it's only for one reason, one reason only is to interview you because of your life brand company, what you got, you're working with social media. I mean, dude, let's just get right into it. Like, what is this life brand company all about? Great question. Life brand is becoming the world leader in social media education, detection, and prevention. Our whole goal is to help people 
from themselves when it comes to social media. <laughs> I like uh, that. Everybody has posted something maybe out of color or out of context when they were younger that they want deleted or removed or that could hurt their brand or reputation. And we're trying to help those people. Look, there, there's some bad people on social media mm-hmm. that deserve to be canceled. Most people that get in trouble, though, because the things they post are good people like me or you that maybe posted something when we were 15 that we forgot about. You know, I jokingly tell people all the time, I'm 45 years old. Social media didn't exist when I was 18, 19, 20. And thank God it didn't. Because I can't imagine <laughs> what I would have been posting at 18, 19, and 20 and how that would reflect on me. Mm-hmm. So we help average people, but also large companies find stuff on social media and remove it. Our average user deletes over 18 posts from their social media after scrubbing it from inception. The average user, 18. That means you, me, chances are all your listeners on average have 18 things that they probably That's wild too because I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, like I'm not a bad guy. Like what what are they going to remove? But for the average user, then that's like, oh shoot. I'm so glad you said that because everybody thinks that. They think right off the bat, the worst. They think racist, homophobic. They're like, mm-hmm. well, I'm not a bad person. There's nothing bad on my social mm-hmm. media. Most of the stuff on people's social media isn't bad like that. It's just things that they're like, eh, does this align with who I am as an adult? Do I really need this? Maybe it's immature content. Maybe it's just, maybe it's a female that's in a strong business setting that is working hard to make a good name for herself. And she's just like, eh. Do I need a picture of me in a bikini? One of the first things people see when they're searching me. You know, is that going to discredit who I am as a female executive? Are they just going to look at my body? You know, there, there's so many different things that come up. Mm-hmm. And I can I can go through examples that some of our users have found. But yeah, it's go, never go, horrible go, stuff. Go through. I mean, we do. We yeah, got I, I'd love to give you know, a great yeah. example I can give you is. I hope you didn't search mine up. Yet. <laughs> you know, we work with a lot of professional sports teams as clients. And. One of the teams we worked with, one of their very high-level executives, he's on the C-suite, and I, I never mentioned him by name or the team, yeah, but, yeah. you know, he's on the C-suite for a professional sports team. When we first started working with that team, he's like, ah, you don't need to scrub my social media. I'm in my 60s. I never posted anything dumb. I'm like, but let's just do it, because the whole point is to be preventative on it. Yeah. I always make the comparison, if you wait till your house catches fire to make sure you have fire insurance, it's too late. Yeah, Like you can't call mid-fire and insure that house. Well, you can't mid-PR crisis take away (laughs) something on your social media. It looks even worse when you do that. Yeah, it's even worse. So we scanned his social media and him like everyone else. He's like, I have nothing bad on there. I'm a good person. One of the posts was from 10 years ago and it said F the, and it was another team in the league. Now, not the worst post in the world. Probably wouldn't have gotten him fired. But I can tell you, any of the major professional sports leagues don't want a high-level executive from one team saying F another team because they're all in it together. It just would have been a bad look. Another one of his posts was calling a local reporter a nitwit and an idiot. Mm. When you went back and looked at the Twitter exchange, they were actually having fun with each other, Mm -hmm. raising money for a challenge. But out of context. Out of context, he's bullying the reporter. We know how that works nowadays. Right. He was mortified by both of those posts. And he was like, TJ... I don't think either of them would have got me fired, but it certainly would have had the owner of our team or the GM come into my office and be like, yo, what are you thinking? Mm. What? Like it would have made them question my decision-making ability. And I think it would have ultimately hurt my career trajectory. Those are the types of things that people find. I mean, I, I had a picture on my own social media of avocado toast. And the caption said, banging ass avocado toast. <laughs> I, I 
mean, nothing. I don't think any of you out there would say, you know what? I'm, we, I'm boycotting life brand. Can we patent that? Because he loves that avocado toast. But I also said, does the CEO of a company yeah. really need a picture of banging ass avocado toast on his social media? <laughs> and I, I think the answer to that was no. So I deleted uh, that. And it all comes back to your personal mm. brand. We're not just trying to help people remove dumb stuff from their social media. We're trying to help them realize that you have a personal brand thanks to your social yeah. media. We're trying to help big companies realize that if you have 5,000 employees that work for you, you have 5,000 micro brands that represent your company. You have spent maybe decades or hundreds of millions of dollars to build your company's brand. And one person could just One person that up, just man. started working for you a month ago could ruin it. That micro brand, like it or not, Jeez. is a representation of your brand. Yeah. And companies are realizing that. They're saying, hey, we need to invest in those micro brands. And whether they force their employees to use it or not, most don't. We have to at least make it available to them. Let's yeah. at least try to mitigate some of that risk. If only 40% of our employees do it, great. We're 40% less likely to have a PR issue. Yeah. Oh, man. When do I start? When, yeah, when do I yeah. run the software? Hey, like, like hey, I'm a little nervous. Everybody should do People, it. You know, you, the, you're listening right now. You're probably like, you better show the results, Jake. And yeah. was, you know, but it's so true. Like, even, look, I've started off as a fitness dude. And I'm like, there's a lot of shirtless photos. I'm like, that's not who I am. You don't anymore. need that. Couple. Couple. Not, I mean, not 30 of them. I've cleaned up a yeah. lot of them. Dude, going back through that and trying to delete on Instagram takes time. So to have a system that does that, honestly, makes so much sense. Like, can we just put like a, a, a you know, certain thing where I say anything where there's like nips showing? Actually, you know, you know what? You can. We do have a custom dictionary <laughs> that you can tell it what to look for. Oh, man. So like, even if like we have a lot of people that use that custom dictionary that broke up with maybe a girl named Amy. And they're like, you know what? Let me put Amy's name That's in there. So cool. And just make sure there was nothing I posted before oh that was bad about Amy. Or maybe I want to remove the stuff that she's the love of my life. So when I meet someone else, they don't see that. I mean, there's there's more socially fun ways you can use our tech too than just Dude, protecting your brand and image. This is such a good, and I was telling you off camera, even on your episode, this is one of the most beautiful business models because it literally plug and plays for every type of industry. <laughs> Yeah. And, and the way you're talking too, it's like, look, if you're not already getting sold on this, then keep listening in because you will. But that's not the point of it. What he's actually doing, and this is so good about it, is you're just giving value. You, Everyone listening, whether you use this company or not, you could go in there and start being like, oh, shoot, maybe I should get rid of that thing. Yeah. But now you have a solution that makes it faster and easier. It's an incredible model. And we want everybody. And look, I, obviously, I, I started a business. I'm here to make money. Of course. But- Really, we just want everyone to go and help themselves. We even offer a free check. Anybody can go to our website really? and get a free social media check, kind of like a free credit check. You can go to lifebrand.life, connect your social media accounts. Right now, we do Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yeah. Within weeks, we'll also be doing LinkedIn and TikTok. TikTok, I can't wait to see what goes oh, from that. Man. But um, All you dancers out there, I don't care if you have yeah. clothes on or clothes <laughs> off. You better take those down. We will, for free then, scan your social media from inception using our artificial intelligence. And we don't delete anything because sometimes people ask us why we don't automatically delete harmful content. That's censorship. We yeah. want no part of that. Yeah. Our goal is just to flag things that could potentially get you in trouble. And if you want to keep it, fine. So we'll display everything for you for free. We only show you two of them because you got to pay yeah. for them to see all of them. But we'll give you an idea. We'll tell you, you know, hey, Jake, you have 80 potentially harmful posts. Here's two of them. Yeah. I mean, you can unlock to see the rest, but yeah, it's such, you know, that's it's, such a good hook. And you know, let's get, let's get tactical on that because people in business, you need to have something that gets people in the door. Yeah. 
gives them a taste of what it looks like. And then basically, hey, if you want the service, we showed you the value. We hit a pain point. That's what I talk about in influence. You got to disturb the herd a little bit. Right. I'm not really disturbed right now until I hear some of those stories. But for me, I'm like, eh, you know, do I need life brand? You may be listening as well. Do I need life brand? But once they give you this free value, I don't lose anything, no sacrifice. And you show me two posts, I'm like, oh, I'm a little disturbed. Now I want to buy. Now you got to look. Because if it says you have 80 potentially. Yeah. And then you saw two and you're like, well, you know what? I would probably delete those two. What are the other 78? Yeah. You know? So that hook right there of how you did your business model, when did you actually implement that? Was that right away or was that an idea it, that came up? It was almost up? from the very beginning. You know, when we first built this and had our first working prototype and we had the first couple people going through using it, I noticed that it was flagging stuff on everybody. Even mm. people that I thought had a good personal brand. I mean, I had gone through and manually cleaned up mine and I couldn't believe how much stuff I missed. But also sometimes... It takes a different point of view or opinion to flag it. And then you're like, oh, you know what? I didn't think that it could be construed that way. I see why it got flagged. Maybe I should delete it. But we realized that if anyone, anyone should care about their brand and their reputation. And more and more personal brands are becoming relevant. You know, I tell people all the time, social media is not going anywhere. Five years from now, it might look different than it looks today. It might be more metaverse based. Meta or Twitter might not be the big players. But the idea of people creating, sharing, and connecting online and creating online is not going away. More and more, it's going to become prevalent that you need a personal brand mm-hmm. that not only do you not want your social media to hurt you, but it can help you. Oh, I mean. So if someone sees yeah. those harmful posts, and I mean, it's not like it costs hundreds or thousands of dollars to upgrade. It's 10 bucks. Yeah. For 10 bucks, you're not going to unlock it to see what other potentially harmful content it's, it's $10. is on there. It is $10. Bro. And then it's only $4 a month to keep maintaining it. Come on now. We are not here to get rich off cleaning up your social media. But again, think about it. Millions of people yeah. will be eventually doing it. And we also sell it's it like, to big companies. That's our main bread and butter. But um, we wanted to make sure if you're looking to go apply for a job, because I don't know if you know this or not, but you know, Career, Career Builder has done a study. SHRM, the Society for Human Resources Management. Indeed, all these different studies show that over 90% of employers look at your social media during the hiring process. But a lot of people that are looking for a job might not have a lot of money. I wanted to make this an affordable price that if you're hard up, you're looking for a job, you can come up with 10 bucks. Yeah. For 10 bucks, you can clean up oh, your social I media. I mean, and give every single shot person, especially you listening right Borrow now, like, let's be real. If you're listening to the Strategic Life podcast, you got $10. We're hoping, yes. Stop eating those $5 foot longs for two days and you're good. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, or you, you can borrow 10 bucks literally from a stranger on the street. They would give you 10 bucks. They would. Go clean up your social media. And then you could go back and tell them how it really helped your brand. Exactly. And they'd feel exactly. really good. Yeah. Dude, that's wild, man. I really do like that. So, like, the, 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 the nugget here is in your company, you're a consultant, you're an entrepreneur, you're still working nine to five, maybe you have a side hustle, network marketing company, whatever it is. How do you lower that barrier to entrance so people can get an idea to see, oh, this person's not just another coach. They actually know how to coach me, my body. Yeah. My, do you give them a, uh, a seven-day program? Do you uh, allow them to see what a nutrition plan would look like? Do you let them you know, get a free appraisal for your finances, whatever that is? You guys already know I'm a business consultant. I talk about I have an impact analysis. I basically allow you to fill out some info. It's not just where you're putting in your email and number and I'm going to spam you a crap, but it's actually business stuff. But it takes a lot of time of my my side of building out a game plan to show you what's possible because 
I work with many different industries. They could look at me, well, how can you help a real estate person? How can you help someone in finances? That's what's similar to what you're doing is I created this hook that is only value-based. It really disturbs the the hurt in a good way. And now it's like, it only makes sense to do business, $10. Yeah, and I think, you know, for you know any of your listeners out there that are in business, there's a lot of different ways you can make your living. Some people would rather just sell fewer things at much higher price points. Mm-hmm. Other folks would rather sell much more lower price points where they, they can maybe help more people or there's a lower barrier to entry. You know, what we learned on the last podcast that you and I filmed together for, for our podcast, Not Suitable for Work, we both have a fitness industry background. Yeah. Well, think about that at the fitness industry side. There's really high-end clubs like Lifetime Athletic that Vinny, our producer here, worked at. And that's actually how we met there was a trainer there. All about connection. Um, you know, they are more about, we're going to charge you $180 a month. We're not looking to pack our gym. We want you to have room. We're going to give you the best possible amenities. And then there's other gyms out there like a Planet Fitness or a Crunch Fitness or a Retro Fitness that are all about lower price point, higher volume. They're actually called HVLP is what they call those kinds of gyms. Um, HV, I just thought, oh, high volume, low price. Yeah, They're all about getting, and they're different business models. They both work different ways. Now in the fitness industry, I don't like that because it's not about results. And that's what got me out of not wanting to work for a gym like that. That's a different story, but there's different ways to do it. So yes. anyone that has a business, for us, it was more about, we want to help as many people as possible. Yeah. I don't want to just help the 1% that I can afford what we're doing. I want to help as many people as possible. And I know so many people could benefit from this that even at a ridiculously low price point, we can make a lot of money. So, um, so it works for us. Now, for other people's businesses out there, it doesn't work because you're like, you, you couldn't do that because then you're not giving people their actual quality they right. deserve, the time and attention they yep. deserve. So it depends on what you're doing. But knowing that at the beginning, I think is important helping someone start a business. What is your goal? Is your goal to help as many people as possible? And if you can do it in a scalable way with us through AI, then great. Yeah. But if you're really trying to help people on a one-to-one level, well, then we're going to have to help less people, but at much better quality. So good, dude. That's business wisdom right there. You talk about like a, the minimum viable product, right? The MVP. Yeah. Talk about that. So people maybe that don't understand that yet, but like, what was that for you? And like, how like how would someone find like the, the MVP in their company? Jake, I got a great ex- story about that yeah, when it comes please. to MVP. And as you just said, you know, that stands for minimal viable product. So in the tech world or in a lot of different worlds, it means what's the minimal thing you could build that's viable, it's workable and it's demonstrable to either a client that you can get some initial beta tests or to an investor that you can raise Mm -hmm. money. When I first started this, not having been in the tech industry, having been in the fitness industry, one of the very first phone calls we were on, it was about a year into me starting this and we were trying to raise money. I mean, we had no money as a company because though we had this great idea, everyone kept saying, well, prove you can do it. Mm -hmm. Prove you can get the permissions you need from the social media giants. I'm like, well, it costs money to prove it. So like it was, <laughs> but it was my first ever call with like a big time hedge fund and money person. You know, one of our advisors had introduced me to him. I'm like, all right, I know we have a great idea. I know he's going to want to give me money. Here we go. So we're on the call and we're talking about the product. And he's like, so TJ, what, what's your MVP look like? And I'm like, I don't know. I guess I'm our most valuable player. <laughs> and I just hear this I would silence. have said the same thing. And I hear our advisor, Carrie, go, ugh. <laughs> no. And then a second later, one of the lines goes dead. The person just straight up hung up at that point. No. And I'm like, what? And Carrie's like, what is wrong with you? 
And I'm like, I'm but I am. Right. We only have two employees. I have to be our most valuable player. He's like, you don't. That's not what that stands for. It stands for minimal viable product. And I'm like, what's a minimal viable product? <laughs> and he's just like, oh, my God. But, like, how would you know that if you've right. never been in that space before? I, I always tell that story to show how yeah. far we've come. But, yeah, I mean, a minimal viable product is, is so essential. If you're building something that's an actual tangible product, you need to be able to demonstrate it to somebody yeah. on a very low level. Because then once you prove it can work and you can get some feedback and test it and user tests, then you can go raise money to make it better. Then you mm. build your 2.0 version or 3.0 version. Is this version. only tech related or is no, it, it can anything? No, for anything. Let's I mean, say, any let's, business. What about, let's say, someone that's in finances. They're helping people with finances. If, if your goal is to help them in finances, you need to come up with what the minimal viable thing is that's going to offer a service to them. So it'd be, it could still be a so service thing. It could be a service. Okay. It could be, if you're going to work with me, or if I got to prove to my first couple customers that I'm a value to them, what's the minimal thing I can provide to them that they would pay for and see value? Okay. In? And though nobody wants to be, I want to give them the minimum minimum amount I can. You have to start from somewhere. Yeah. So at what point is the minimum amount? And remember, it says viable, so it's still got to be viable and a good product. What's my starting point? And anybody mm. needs to know what that starting point is. So if you're in finance and your goal is to help educate them on maybe how they can save some money on their taxes. Yeah. Okay, what are the first key things that you're going to make sure every person gets? You're going to say that, hey, we need to start tax planning earlier in the year. Because if you wait until after the year has passed, you can't change anything. If we start tax planning maybe in, and guys, I'm not a financial expert, so please don't listen to what I'm saying. I'm trying to give an example. <laughs> it's all an example. If we, can, if we can start tax planning in August and see what our tax liabilities are going to be at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And we say, okay, you're going to owe a million dollars. So to get rid of that, we're going to need to go spend $4 million so that we have at least a million, uh, $4 million write-off that eliminates the million you yeah. owe. Go spend $4 more million this year that you were planning on spending early next year to eliminate that tax liability. So the minimum viable product for that example would be the actual just service of from August. Like yeah, maybe knowing what the plan is. So at okay. a minimum amount, we're going to tax plan for this year. So that maybe I can help you avoid some tax liabilities yeah, yeah. before the end of the year. Okay. Um, in, in the fitness space, you know, a minimal viable product. If you're going to work with me as a trainer, hey, at an absolute minimum, I know I'm going to work you out twice a week. Okay. I'm going to give you a routine to do on your own. I'm going to give you a nutrition plan to follow on your own. It, you need to at least know what, what your base is. And then yeah. you build off of that base. And you might change that base. You know, in the tech world, you, we keep building off of what we've built. Yeah. But it's, I think, important to know when you're starting a business to build a foundation that can be built upon. Mm -hmm. And whether it's tech, whether it's in the service industry, you know, if you're going to build upon it, you need to make sure that initial foundation is strong. And the best example I can give is if you build a beautiful, if you're a contractor and you build this beautiful rancher home and it's a nice rancher, you have, you know, your concrete foundation and your basement, yeah, maybe one day that foundation is strong enough to build a second story on it for an addition. But it's going to start getting a little shaky if you try to put a third or a fourth floor on that. And you're certainly not going to be able to build a 90-story skyscraper because the foundations for something like that yeah. go hundreds of feet beneath the surface, much wider, much yes. thicker, much stronger. So just keep in mind you can start building one level at a time, but make sure the foundation can support growth over time yeah. and verticals over time. You know, again, if it's you're building so a house, good. have enough land around you that you can expand it somewhere. Right. So. And that's such a mindset thing that you're a living example. I'm trying to do the same, but I know you're listening right now. Like 
we we try to get the quick fix because I just like to speak through how our brain works. We want dopamine hits, like we want yeah. the quick the quick money hacks, the the way to just you know um, have a customer and you acquire them, but you can't retain them because you just want to make that upfront money. But it's like we focus on building that maybe one or two story house foundation, but it's the people that build deep that they don't see the results we hear these motivational things all the time you know like the roots are going deep and then you know years later you finally see the, the seed or like palm trees or the bamboo you yeah, know like yeah. they sprout you know inches a day once they finally but like that's the truth of it you know and, and you have an example i want to have your story to back that up but like if you're in a situation right now where you're not seeing the fruits of your labor yet realize and maybe look you know retrospectively like are you building the foundation because the foundation is the dirty work that's the hard work you know and this is also maybe a fine balance I would love for you to touch up on is don't build so deep thinking you're going to build this empire that you never build the empire, right? right? Some people are always like preparing and they're always learning and growing, but they're not actually acting on it. So now you're building deeper and deeper and deeper, but you don't actually finally build the castle. Like you can build a deep enough foundation, start building on that, but then also start adding to that foundation. You might have to start excavating areas around it and, and stack it up. So there is this like almost nice rhythm between that and, and balance. And I don't really like saying the word balance, but it kind of is. Um, but that's a great example. So my, my takeaway for people and you listening is don't feel bad if you see other people building their skyscrapers and you don't have yours yet because those skyscrapers might be on a two-story foundation. Right. And Build it's going to crumble. Build something that can last. And also, there's nothing wrong at the beginning with telling people you're at the beginning. Because mm. if you try to act like you have it all figured out or you're perfect or this is the best product out there, when there's glitches along the way or hiccups along the way, now you set an improper expectation. Like mm. with us, our technology is still new. It's still learning. There's, there's a chance you're gonna go to our website one day and get an error message. When we onboard big, large companies, I tell them, hey, Fortune 500 company over here, we're new. There's still a chance this won't work perfectly all the time. Uh, There's a chance that it's going to be overly sensitive and the AI is flagging too much. It'll get better over time. Mm -hmm. We've set that expectation that they know that. So now they've expected that. Yeah. When you're starting your company, there's nothing wrong with telling someone, you're one of my first clients. I would appreciate your honest feedback. Mm. Ask them to be critical of you in a nice way. Don't tell me I suck. But like, I welcome your feedback and I think people appreciate that. And if you're a good person and they can see that you're genuinely there to help them, whether it's on a one-to-one -one service type business, whether it's something like us on larger scale, they actually want to help you. It's amazing how people, oh my God, Jake, I would love to help give yeah. feedback and help make you better at this. And you know, our philosophy here is if one of my clients tells me we could have done something better, well, chances are other clients of mine would mm. have that same feedback. So shouldn't I listen to them? So that now the other client gets that better product. And if you keep trying to get better every day, like you're never there. You're never going to arrive. Yeah. I don't care if our company does $10 million in revenue this year or a billion dollars in revenue. We, we still haven't arrived. We're still yeah. growing. We can always get better. And it, it's, I think it's okay to tell people. I'm new. I'm so just good. getting started. How can I be better for my next client or for you next time around? So good. And then the world of influence and sales, that's called pre-framing. Yeah. You know, your pre-frame, like yeah. I say pre-frame is the name of the game. You could do that for business, for your relationship. If you're going to have to give the bad news, pre-frame them. Say, hey, I'm about to give you the bad news. Yeah. That will either one, 
they'll say, oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought. Or number two, they were able to brace impact. And you know, you just did that for they your also people. appreciate the honesty. You know, mm. me and you were talking before about, you know, your social media comes off as real. And I Thank think that's you. why you have such great followers that like what you're doing. And when you're honest with people about your own shortcomings, like, look, I'm not perfect. I'm not the, none of us are. We, none of us all have the answers. That just helps show even more that you're real, you're authentic, yeah. and it's going to make people gravitate towards wanting to be around you versus that guy that tries to fake that they have all the answers. Because yes. none of us do. So let, let's just say we don't have all the answers. So good. Well, you know, people are listening to you right now, and we just hit it off from the ground running, talking about this incredibly big company. I mean, I'm assuming your big goal is to get acquired. I mean, you're lo- you're working with all these sports teams, you're working with corporations, Fortune 500s, but that's not who you, you always were. And uh, you kind of actually came from a very interesting come up and struggle of maybe not many people know about. Can you can you touch on that? Yeah, I um, you know, in a in a larger series. I mean, I was a longtime fitness industry guy, but I was always an entrepreneur. Um, when I was 20 years old, I owned a deli, uh, which is weird. You know, making steaks and hoagies and slicing lunch meat. Didn't you have like a news article you shared with yeah, us yeah, on that? Yeah, I just shared it. I'll send the picture. You can yeah, post it up on yeah. this. But uh, it was a picture of me. I, I was also a volunteer firefighter back then yeah. and an EMT. And I'm in my fireman uniform <laughs> slicing lunch meat. And I think the headline says... Uh, you know, pull, saves pull lives. It up, pull and it up. Pull it up. Yeah, saves right. lives and makes a great hoagie. Is I think what it was. <laughs> he shared this and, headline. Uh, I was like, man, they actually had headlines yes, like this it, uh, on know, the can, newspaper. They can zoom in on that later, and I'll send yeah. it over to them. But um, what does it say? The headline: College student turns entrepreneur, Springfield firefighter, EMT, TJ Clazy. Saves lives and makes a tasty hoagie. Dude, too. I honestly uh, didn't know that there would be newspaper headlines like that. Because that's like the typical, like, you know, going from broke to seven figures a yeah, year. Like, it's that, like you that's, see that. And it's so funny. My cousin just sent me that. I, I forgot that article even existed. But what I loved about, and, and let me tell you, I was a horrible deli owner. Uh, it was it was a horrible failure. I was not a good deli entrepreneur. Um what I, one of my favorite quotes I ever heard was Mark Cuban always says, you only have to be right once. Mm. And I'm so glad that I failed so many times in my entrepreneurial journey along the way because all those failures I learned from. And I'm really glad that this one came after all my failures so that I don't mess this one up. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I had a great, you know, from that to then being a longtime fitness industry executive and then when I wanted to start this company, you know, most people that are, I get why most people that are entrepreneurs, you know, start something in their, their parents' basement or garage because you have no money at the beginning. And if you're a 21 year old kid with no real responsibilities, it's a lot easier than me, you know, being a husband and a father yeah. and having responsibilities at home. And already making probably a good salary. Yeah. Working you know, these when I, when I decided to start this company, I mean, I was, I wasn't rich by any means, but for most people's standards, I had a good six-figure income. Yeah, yeah. I probably made around $200,000 a year. I mean, that, that's a decent living. Yeah. And when I started this company, my wife at the time was pregnant with our second daughter. We already mm-hmm. had a three-year-old and she was probably three or four months pregnant with our second daughter. And um, I came home from work for my good paying job. And this is a story I like telling that I didn't ask my wife first if I should quit my job or not, or if I could have permission to quit my job. I just did it. And that probably sounds like hard. Vinny's looking at me, a married guy, like, bad marital advice, bro. <laughs> um, and it probably is. And I don't encourage people to do that. But the reason I did that was because no one's going to stop me from building my own mm. dreams. 
And if I know that's what's best for me and my family, it was almost a test to see if my wife believed in me as much as I did. And did she? Did my wife say, what is wrong with you? I mean, she's still with me four years later. And what's crazy is I don't remember the exact interaction when I said, hey, honey, I, I left my good paying job and we're going to start a tech startup. And I know nothing about technology. It's not like I'm some coder and know stuff. Yeah. Um, wow. But she immediately believed in me. And that was, you need oh. so much, so many reminders along the way as an entrepreneur, because there's so many hard times that you can do this, that I think from the beginning that my wife didn't say, you're out of your effing mind, mm. go get your job back. We And my wife didn't work. I was the only income person for our house. For her to say, you know what? If there's any crazy SOB that can do this, it's you, honey. Let's do it. Like I, I, you, I almost needed that from the beginning mm. to prove that. Yeah, I mean, I, I should do this. It yeah. is the right decision. Would you, would you say you had like absolute certainty when you told her that? Like, because you already obviously had some sort of certainty when mm. you were like, I'm not gonna even tell her. I'm just telling her that I'm already done. But like, were you in a state of like certainty when you shared that? Uh, no, no, no. Well, I, oh, I was pretty opposite. certain she was gonna uh, back me on this. But uh, my wife, anyone that knows her, I love her to death, Kristen. Hi. Um, she's, she's a pretty fiery Italian woman that, um, speaks her mind and, um, like will speak before she thinks and scream and yell. And it's just how she loves is through screaming and yelling. Um, see, I was a little scared. So you were, you were probably expecting her to just rip you. I was kind of almost expecting her to rip me. And cause look for me, I was like, am I making the right decision? But when she didn't, Mm. that was the certainty I needed that I made the right call. Why didn't she? Like, did you talk to her about I, that? No, I, I think she just believed in me. I think she always knew, though I loved working in the fitness industry, I wasn't working up to my true potential. Mm. I always used to tell her I can make a lasting impact on the world. You know, I'll never forget when I was a little kid, I had this like picture frame that my parents had on my desk in my room. On one side, it was my uh, f- first Holy Communion picture. And on the other side was this thing about the word Thomas. You know, my first name's Thomas. And it was talking about like the meaning of the word Thomas. And it listed people like Thomas Jefferson and all these other people. And the last thing on it, it said, a man with the name Thomas will leave his mark on the world. And I always believed that from a little kid, which also goes to show like, so it's good. amazing what you put in front of your kids, yeah, the power what they of like retain and learn. Mm. Um, so I think she always knew I had a goal to do something bigger than that. But I just think also my passion for the idea that I had came out. But also going back to why I think life brand is easy for people to get behind and understand, it's such a simple solution to such a big problem. You know, when we want to pitch competition with Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank, and it was not on Shark Tank, it was a separate thing through him and a company called Start Engine. um, No, he said, this is such a simple solution to a big problem. Mm. And people can get it right away. And I think my wife, you know, she's a little bit younger than me. I'm, I'm 41 right now, she's 32. So at the time, she was probably like 28, right in that prime of people that are on social media. She saw the problem that was out there. Mm. She's like, oh my God, TJ, this is a massive problem that needs a solution. Mm. And um, I, I think she just knew I, I've always been a resilient person. Yeah. But I mean, you know, starting it, you talk about the struggle starting a company. I mean, it was not easy. We, we put our life savings into starting this company. It's funny, even like some friends of mine that have followed along the journey on social media, it's been over four and a half years since we started the company, but the past two, I think people have started to notice what we're doing. Yeah. We've, oh, you know, they're definitely noticing you now. Um, and everyone just thinks it happened overnight. And oh man, he got lucky. I mean, you have no idea what we went through. Yeah. Let's to start let's, this. let's touch into that in a second because there's a few things yeah. I want to pack. So 
really quick, that thing that you had on the wall, it said Thomas's are what? Uh, the name Thomas is meant to leave an impact on the world. And did Kristen ever see that person? I don't think so. I think that, that just came through my me as a person. Amen. That is what I wanted to drive home for you listening right now. Like that is why knowing who you are, ingraining that into your subconscious mind, doing your your affirmations, or like I, I talk about declarations. The biggest thing between affirmation and declaration, affirmations I am. I am is the most powerful things, but if you don't believe I am happy today, like let's say you're going through right. a divorce, that's going to cause that little voice in the back of your head to say, you're not happy. Stop lying to yourself. But a declaration declaration is saying, I choose. I choose to be happy even in the toughest of times. You could always have a choice even in the toughest of times. And that's the beautiful thing. So you ingraining that every day, you seeing that, especially if imagine your kids, what are they seeing? What are they watching? What are they hearing? Like that stuff, Kristen never saw that. So she wasn't like, oh, I know he's believing that and right, saying that every right, day. Right. It comes through your essence. I think naturally through your essence. Through your yes. Ne- so yes. literally do these things that it's it's the invisible compounding where you don't think that these affirmations are working. You don't think the morning routine, the grind, the hustle is showing off. But like that's the essence that comes through. And that's why people believe in your mission. And such a great example. I just wanted to really extract that. Um, but I also wanted to really go into this, this story about with the Kevin O'Leary. Yeah, how that happened. So start off with like, you know, because your your business was about to take off 2020 and March and that crazy things happened. Talk yeah. about that and then talk about it the was, Kevin O'Leary. You know, in the spring of 2020, when, you know, COVID hit and, you know, the world kind of shut down, we were about two years into this. It was just me and my co-founder, Gemma, who's now our chief operating officer, who was working for free. She wasn't getting paid. I wasn't getting paid. We had... I, maybe a couple of dollars in our business bank account. I wouldn't have been surprised if it was negative. And we had gone through the whole friends and family round. We did a small seed round with some of our initial mm-hmm. investors. And we just, we still needed more money to get that initial MVP up off the ground. And we had finally secured our first ever real investment. It was a million dollar seed round. Pretty big when you weren't making any money for it. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we were happy when we would get a $25,000 investment. So a million dollars was like, we can finally start building a company. Yeah. And it was like a Wednesday that we had agreed to everything. We had signed off on everything. That Thursday is when the stock market plummeted through the ground. And that investor from that group called me back and was like, hey, like, sue me if you need to. We lost all of our dry powder overnight. We can no longer do the investment. We still believe in what you're doing, but maybe another time. And I'm like, holy crap. Like, I lost a million dollars overnight. What was like, what were you really feeling at that time? I thought that was it. I mean, I really thought like, and then you're watching the news. States are closing down. Schools are closing. Businesses are closing. And our go-to-market strategy that spring was to attend all the HR and tech shows that all then started getting canceled. Mm. And I'm like, what are we going to do? Like, I I just lost a million dollars. There's no way I can raise money during a pandemic. It, It just kind of... We didn't know what to do. So, you know, me and Gemma kind of regrouped. Yeah. We're like, look, all we can do is just create content online that we can create for free. You know, there's like this video of me in my home office, like, and it was just what your boss sees at work. And it was me diligently typing. <laughs> and then it was what your boss sees on your social media. And it was me like headbanging, smoking cigarettes, taking shots, uh, like trying to like make a funny video. Yeah. And it kind of gained some traction. People saw it. But, you know, the crazy thing that happened was we kept going. Mm. even though every sign pointed we pointed towards we should stop. How was that with Kristen? When- really? Oh, at the time, we were already 
we'd already borrowed money from my parents, yeah. from her parents. I remember, you know, my birthday's April 8th. So, you know, and this was back when people didn't really know what COVID was and keep kids away from the elderly. So, and not that my parents were that old, but they came over and just watched the kids play in the backyard for my birthday mm. from the car in the driveway. And I had to call my mom before they came because I was too embarrassed to say it to my dad. But I was like, mom, when you come, can you please bring me $200? Like, mm. I need to buy groceries because I couldn't even buy groceries for our kids. Uh, so it was really hard. You know, we'd already... I mean, I remember there would be times my wife would come home and she'd be like, where's such and such? And I'd be like, I, I took it to a pawn shop and sold it. I, I sold anything from our home that had any value, you know, watches of mine, anything I own that you could possibly get 10 bucks for or 15 bucks for. At times it was just to get 10 bucks to, I mean, there was times I would have to sell my laptop. I'm like, all right, so how am I running a tech company with no computer just to buy me a couple of weeks until we could pay some bills? Um, what kept you guys together during that time? That sounds... Thank you for sharing that. I think what kept me and her together during that time was like, we still had this joy of two beautiful young kids at home Aww. that like we knew ultimately it would be, it's actually funny that she's called me as we're talking about this. Hey, Kristen. We, um, it, I, I don't know. I think somehow we knew it would always work out. I'm with someone that always tries to look at the positive in things yeah. that I'm like, you know what? I'm working from home right now. Most dads are working moms don't get to have breakfast with their kids seven days a week. And because mm. I'm working from home, I get this awesome time with my kids that I wouldn't have had. I can go outside and play in the middle of the day. So we took the positive in it. But yeah. very quickly during that pandemic, when people were working from home and spending way too much time on social media, people were like, if you remember day drinking and having drinks for breakfast, oh, yeah. drinking too much, spending too much time on social media, it's a bad combination. So next thing you know, people started oversharing on social media. Mm, we yeah. then went through all that tension that summer, not just from the pandemic, but like the racial tension yes. in our country from what happened with George Floyd. Yeah. And again, people sharing opinions one yeah. way or the other going too far. In their very, opinions. very strong opinions. And what we thought would kill our business, uh, COVID, actually proved to be, and I, I want to word this in the right way. I mean, COVID by no means was a good thing. But for proving why people needed our company, yeah. it actually was a blessing in disguise because it, it proved blessing. to people why people are dumb on social media. Yeah. And next thing you know, we started getting phone calls from folks that were interested. But also, I think it goes back to what really helped us get to that point that we could present to Kevin O'Leary and get out of that pandemic was, I think when you always do the right thing and surround yourself with good people... We needed another $180,000 to finish building our MVP, which we all know stands for Minimal Viable Product. You mean we weren't going to build you up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I did not need $180,000. I need way more than that to fix me. Um, So, you know, we still needed $180,000, and I was out of options. I mean, Mm. we're in the middle of a pandemic. There's no Mm -hmm. way I can raise Mm -hmm. money. So I called our tech partners in Prague, Oaks Lab, that was our initial outsource partner that we still work with to this day, and was like, guys, I'm out of money. I don't, I, there's no way I can come up with the last 180 grand. Everything we just did was for nothing. Mm. I'm sorry, I guess, stop the project. Like, I, I don't know what else to do. I mean, I had literally reached a point where there was what I thought nothing I could do. And I think anyone that's trying to build something great, whether it's a, a tech company, whether it's an individual business, you need other people around you that kind of, when you're at those low points, because there's going to be low points, help you. And the founders of Oaks Lab, Jake and Theo, they're like, you know what, TJ, we believe in what you're building. 
we actually believe that if we can get you a working MVP, you'll get the traction that you need, you'll get the investors that you need, and the sky's the limit. Mm. We're going to float you the last $180,000. Line of credit, we'll build it for you. We'll figure out how you're going to pay us back later. But we feel like if we build it, you'll make it. And that was in maybe July. In August then, that investor that had to back out in March was so impressed with how we just kept trugging along. He said, you know what? We're going to do the investment now. Oh my So we got our million dollar investment. So those people that, hold on really quick on that, continue. Those people that give you the 180K basically floated that over. That was all just because they believed in you? They believed in our product, but something they said over and over again to me during those couple months that passed then after that was, TJ, we believed in you. Mm. You should have given up and you just keep finding a way. So right after they floated us that money and shortly (sighs) before we got that investment, one of our early investors that had invested a little bit of money into our seed round saw online somewhere that Start Engine, and for those of you that aren't familiar with Start Engine, it's an excuse me, it's an equity crowdfunding site. Yeah. So it's kind of like Kickstarter, Indiegogo, but instead of you getting perks, you can get equity in a company. And it's a way for companies to raise money from non-accredited investors in small amounts. You can invest five bucks into a company if you want. And he was like, oh, they're having their first ever pitch competition to Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful. And I was like, Shark Tank for anyone that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, with Mark Cuban and all of them. And I was like, Chris, that's the name of our investor. I'm like, Chris, there, there's no way we're going to get picked for this. He's like, T. And again, sometimes you need other people to keep pushing you. Yes. He's like, TJ, what does it hurt to apply? If you don't make it, you don't make it. It's going to take you 10 minutes to fill out the application. So I filled out the application, sent it in, didn't hear anything from a little bit. And then all of a sudden, I get an email back from Start Engine that, Nearly 1,500 people applied for the pitch competition. You're one of the 20 finalists to be interviewed to maybe make it to the five that actually present to him. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) wow. Okay. So I do it virtually through Zoom because, again, you know, we're in the middle of COVID. And uh, I thought it went really well. They they really, like almost everyone else, loved our idea. They loved the story. And then I didn't hear anything from them. So I'm like, oh, man. Kind of, kind of a little bummed. When I thought I didn't have a chance, I didn't care. But then when I was down to the last <laughs> Yeah, and I was like, oh, you're all in. Yeah, I wanted to make it. And then I got an email on a Saturday morning. Congratulations, you're one of the five finalists to pitch no Kevin O'Leary. Way. You pitch him on Friday. So I had six days <laughs> what? notice. And again, going back to just how crazy all this is, at the time, we were just starting to try to grow as a company. Mm-hmm. We were working out of a small shared workspace. It was closed for COVID. So I'm like, and this pitch competition had to be virtual because of COVID. I'm like, yeah. where can I film this? I can't do it at my house. I got two kids running all around. I got two dogs that bark at anything that goes by. I'm like, where can I create a studio to, to pitch Kevin O'Leary? Because like, got to do it right. And I'm right. a big believer in like, get the right sound equipment, get the right lighting, get the right cameras. Like all that matters if you're trying to convey something, so sell good. something. So uh, again, we had no money. Uh, a friend of mine, happened to be the manager of this or marketing manager of this big entity that owns a bunch of stuff. They have a couple of hotels. Okay. So she's like, look, we'll give you one of our suites in one of our hotels for free for the week. Set up your production studio in there, pitch in there. So here I am in this hotel room and you know, we had like one employee, two employees at the time. And we were interviewing for some of our first employees. Like, you know, you guys here, our producers here, know Jill and Lauren, they were actually meeting me at the hotel restaurant to interview 
while we were, me and Jem, our chief operating officer, were setting up everything for the whatever thing. Whatever it takes. Yeah, you kind of do whatever it takes. And then, um, you know, we, we pitched Kevin O'Leary on this Shark Tank style. It wasn't mm-hmm. Shark Tank, but mm-hmm. same kind of style. You know, it's you get five minutes to present, and then he grills you. Everyone goes, and at the end, he picked a winner for the competition. You won a $10,000 grant from him, which, you know, looking back now, people are like, well, what you do with 10 grand? I'm like, you have no idea how big of a deal 10 grand was back then. Like he kept the lights <laughs> off for a couple more weeks. But had Oaks Lab not extended us that $180,000 line of credit, yes. I wouldn't have had a working MVP. I wouldn't have been able to present to him. No. I wouldn't have been able to present it to some of our initial clients to be able to tell him, yes, we do have clients lined up. You know, and like it, you're so nervous on TV. Like I started throw, but like we had had about 80,000 in monthly recurring revenue through our people that once it was working, would have worked. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't have had that without the MVP. So beautiful. And then there. I was just going to be happy to be on the thing. Because just to have sound bites of kept me talking oh, to yeah. Kevin Oh, yeah. You already knew there was going to be a win-win. I, I didn't need to win. Yeah. I just needed to be on it. And then we ended up not only winning the pitch competition, which was, for me, the most surreal moment. I remember almost right after that, just, like, breaking down, crying. Because, like, mm. all the emotion, it was... All the people that, though I had people that supported me, like my wife and Oaks Lab, there's also everyone else in the world saying, you're nuts. Like, when you, when you think you're going to build some tech company? You, like, you, no, you're not. It was that, like, moment of, and you're always doubting yourself. Mm-hmm. That was that moment of, no, I built something here that the, the world needs. Like, Kevin O'Leary picked me out of 15, and some of the other comp- finalists that were presenting were incredible. But there's no way I'm beating And I'm companies. assuming, too, in that moment, because you probably were thinking, I don't even have an office. I barely have a team. We're not going to have traction. Like, are we going to just look like fools comparatively maybe to these other four that right. have standards and systems ready going? Like, did you, was that going through your mind? No, what was really going through my mind wasn't so much that. It was just that they had such great companies and products. Mm. And I thought they were further along than us. Yes, yes. But going back to what we talked about earlier, like being real, I think they almost sh- tried showing they were more than they were instead of saying like, mm-hmm. now we're still kind of new here. Like I was mm-hmm. very upfront about that with that. Wow. But um, what was, you know, to me also great was not only did he validate our product, he went on and on about me as an entrepreneur. And anyone that watches Shark Tank knows, you know, he's not always the nicest to the entrepreneurs. Yeah. He was like, you knew your numbers. You had the perfect pitch that I always say, the three things you need, which is, you know, knowing your numbers and, you know, kind of went through the whole thing. So he not only validated our product, he validated me, which was, Mm. I think we all need Mm. that for ourselves, that self-validation. All right, I I am not bad at this. Like maybe I am. Especially when it's coming from Kevin O'Leary. I mean, he even ended it at the end, which is one of the, I thought one of the coolest things. He said, I got to stop. I'm giving you too big of a head. And I'm like, I can't believe Kevin O'Leary just said that to me. But then him and I ended up going on Yahoo Finance a couple weeks later talking about our product. And it was such a huge turning point for our company. That million dollars that we had raised was only supposed to be a million dollar round. We then ended up oversubscribing that round by another million dollars. I turned down over $8 million worth of investments because I couldn't take it at our current valuation. And there was the good and bad from that. It brought us all this attention, but it's like, oh, we're still not ready for all this. Like we're oh still a five person company that didn't have an office. So what do you do with that just strategically for, you know, not many people are going to get to that point where they're going to raise money, but your story, like, I don't even need to break it down. That is 
a freaking like rocky story that is and it's eventually going to be a netflix you know show a documentary like it is chills down my back my friend like thank you thank for sharing you. that it, um, but i was going to ask really quick and then please add on that yeah what when you you know i want to understand this because i've never been there before yet but like you already got a million over that you were asking for you had to turn down eight million what do you tell those people? Like, do you say, hang tight, let me grow more, then I'm going to take your money? Or Good you question. Because I've, I was never in a situation like that before. Man, I'd have been happy with eight bucks six months before that. Like, man, if I could just go buy myself a hoagie and a bag of chips. <laughs> uh, but uh, what I told those people was, hang tight. Mm. I think we just proved we're on to something. Maybe we'll be going on and doing a Series A sooner than we thought. And, you know, we ended up closing that round in the fall of 2020. And by the spring of 2021, we were opening up our Series A that took the valuation of our company from $5 million pre-money to $110 million pre-money. And we've now successfully oversubscribed that Series A round. Um, and, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, we're still learning as we go. We still make a ton of mistakes. And yeah. then, you know, it, it went from over this past year growing so fast to going from you know five employees to you know sixty globally and moving into this beautiful new office space that we're in, like trying to figure it all out, like trying to like you know like figuring out like what our accounts payable and accounts receivable yeah. procedures look like, or how we even do stuff like that. Ready how we fire, that. ready fire aim is what I say. Yeah. Ready fire aim. And uh, you know, like we, we made a lot of mistakes over the past year, but I always tell people I think we've made the appropriate amount of mistakes that any startup's supposed to make. Yes. You know, I, I even when we had our annual board of directors meeting in May. Uh, you know, I don't try to make it like we're perfect and we've done everything right. We've made the appropriate amount of mistakes that any startup should probably make. Um, I think we've been able to manage those mistakes, though, because I'm a really big believer in surrounding ourselves with the best people possible. Mm. And I have told almost every investor that's invested in our company, I have told almost everybody that works for us, like on our high-level C-suite, if you put us in a boardroom, with our C-suite executives, so, you know, our, our chief operating officer, chief technology officer, product officer, with our advisory board, and with our board of directors, I am, without question, the most uneducated and unexperienced person in that room. And that's not a shot at my own ability or intelligence. I mean, I'm good at what I do, mm -hmm. but I, I'm always trying to elevate the people around me and surround myself with the best. I'm not intimidated by bringing good people around me. I think a lot of people that try to start their own company or want to be a CEO want to be able to pound their chest and say, I'm the CEO and I'm the best. And they're actually intimidated by other people that I can add value because like, yes. what if that person takes my job yes. one day? I mean, I hope Gemma, our chief operating officer, takes my job and is the CEO here one day. Yeah. If she's better fit for it, or like I always tell people, if we go to do a, we're going to be doing a large probably Series B in the next year or so, where we're going to raise a significant amount of money from big time institutional, you know, you know, institutional raises, um, if they came to me and said, hey, TJ, you've done an admirable job. You've taken this company from where it was. It's now worth, I don't know, by that point, maybe half a billion or a billion dollars. Like, unbelievable job. But for us to go from a billion to five billion or a 10 billion valuation, we need to bring in some experienced executive from such and such. Mm -hmm. I'd be okay with that. I mean, I would ask our other people if they agree with that. I'd ask our board. I'd ask our C-suite. But... It's not about me saying I'm the CEO, I'm yeah, the man. Take the ego. I time. have a responsibility to our investors that to date now have given us almost $25 million. I have a responsibility to our 60 employees, the families that they support, the children that they have, 
to do the best possible thing for everybody because all of our employees have equity in the company. Obviously, our investors have equity in the company. If somebody else can make their money or the value of our company go up three, five, six yeah. X, whatever it is, I, I need to do that. And that is what being a good leader is, not forcing yourself to be that person. I'm okay with that. You know, yeah. I'll still be the president. I'll be the face of the company. You want me to travel around and talk to everybody? I'll do it. Yeah. But maybe I am the guy that takes it all the way. I think being able to adapt and if you keep surrounding yourself with great people and doing the right thing, like Oaks Lab gave me that $180,000 line of credit because they believed in me and I kept doing the right thing and I didn't quit. Mm. And I, I tried taking care of them when I could. I tried being as upfront with them as I could. But I'm like, all right, I got no more money. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Um, the more people you surround yourself with and if you do the right, like you, you need help and breaks along the way. I'll leave you with this. You know, I'm a big believer in the acronym you know, people always say luck. You got to get lucky. There's some luck that's got to be involved in business. And I don't think it's luck. I think it's the acronym for luck, which is laboring under correct knowledge, L-U-C-K, mm. laboring under correct knowledge. When you labor under the correct knowledge that's given to you by folks that maybe you're following, maybe you're coaching somebody and you're helping give them that correct knowledge to follow, or I'm helping give them that correct knowledge. When you labor under correct knowledge, you get lucky. If you keep yes. doing the right things over and over again, you get quote unquote lucky. You don't get lucky if you're not doing the right things yeah. or laboring and putting in the work, putting in the effort. So. That's so good. Yeah. One one question to, to, on top of what you just said is there's going to be people that are growing massively, whether it's presence, following opportunities, money, investors in companies. If you are an investor, you mentioned how you're going to do whatever it takes to obviously give this money to the investors, back to them, grow it, bring in the right people. What's your standards or mindset or even like uh, practicality to make sure that the money doesn't come over the values or the ethics of the company overall? Because we've seen it's, that happen with many companies. Yeah, it, it's a really tough thing. You know, even growing and bringing the money in at the right time. You know, for example, we had the opportunity a year ago to integrate with some really big companies out there, ADP. You know, ADP is one of the biggest payroll companies out there. They have like over 700,000 clients. We could have integrated and been on their marketplace, been exposed to 700,000 clients, been able to integrate directly through their dashboard. We weren't ready for it. And though we would have got sales from it last year that would have made our investors happy that we would have had more revenue last year, that revenue would have been a one-time deal because they wouldn't have renewed. We, we weren't ready for that type of exposure. Balancing those things is tough, but also I think if you go in and balance the expectations and you can speak intelligently to investors or board members about, hey, look, maybe we didn't hit this particular goal we wanted to hit, but this is why. But because we didn't do this, we did hit this. Or now we're going to hit that first thing, but even better, worth better attention. I think being able to look ahead is important, but um, I think also surrounding yourselves with, you know, we were very fortunate when we were raising money. Look, there were some people that were like, oh, no, I'm, I'm not into it. You know, you know, raising money is not easy. But when you talk to most people that go out and raise money and they say, hey, look, you might get, you know, two yeses for every 100 people. We had people that were interested in what we were doing. And to some extent, once we got over that home, we're able to dictate who we wanted to work with. You know, for example, there was a lunch that we had, uh, my chief operating officer, Gemma and I, about a year ago with somebody that was interested in investing $5 million into our Series A. And this was before we'd even raised a lot of money in our Series A. Man, the guy was such a jerk off. I mean, he was just, like that one lunch, I couldn't stand him. And I was like, I can't be in business with this guy. Like mm. I risked everything for me and my family 
to be my own boss. And what I learned is you're never your own boss. I answer to a board. I answer to investors. I answer yeah, to my yeah. employees. And that's Love fine. That. But like, if I can help it, I'm going to make sure I have good investors around me. And what something else we did that was really strategic when we did that Series A, we have institutional investors that invested. But we've also just brought in a lot of really good strategic individual mm-hmm. accredited investors that have built their own companies, that know the pains of building it, that'll understand if we have a bad month or a bad yeah. quarter because they've been there. You know, they started at the ground of a company and worked their way all the so way. So you've up to had the their CEO. decades of experience right there at your. I the get their hands. experience, but I I also have their empathy for what mm. it's like. Mm. You know, I mean, it's not easy building a company like this. There's there's always going to be things that derail you. Things happen along the way. One of the things I tell entrepreneurs all the time is like, life still happens when you're building a company. You know, I still had our second daughter that I had to take care of building this company. I unfortunately lost my father while we were doing this. I then, less than a year after losing my father, lost our third daughter at birth. You know, there's those are things that most people don't want to come back to work for a really long time. And you have to, you know, like you have, you have to overcome those things because, and then it's balancing that responsibility of like, my wife needs me because we lost our daughter, but my investors need me too. There's 30 or 40 Mm. families that work for us that have kids, that their kids are reliant on us being there and doing the right thing. So it's, uh, it's really tough along the way, but when you surround yourselves with investors and board members and C-suite that are good people, that are compassionate people, yeah. that when you do right by them, and because they're good people, they're going to help you through, you know, the, those hard times. You know, one of our investors, <laughs> Pete here, his father, um, I, I think every day for months after we lost my daughter, he just would send me a text every morning mm-hmm. thanking of you, praying for you. You know, hope so you and your sweet. wife are enjoying the day. And still, I mean, we're a year later. Maybe it's not every day anymore, but it's once or twice a week. Hey, still thinking of you. Like, you know, to have an investor that's saying that, not get your ass back to work, you know. And though I was, I was back here, and the company's right. obviously still growing and doing well. But, um, yeah, being having good people around you really is necessary. What would be, like, one tip for someone that's maybe they're they're not in the, the size or position dealing with multiple millions. Maybe they're just broke six figures or getting close to breaking seven figures in their business, got an employee or two, but they do have family. They have a girlfriend or a spouse and they're going through a similar situation. What would be one tip to actually strategically balance quote unquote, or have that rhythm as I'd rather say with the personal life and the business as there's both growth on both sides. Uh, See, like, I'm a big believer, and you, you know, kind of went away from the word balance to rhythm. I don't think there is such a thing as like work life balance. Mm-hmm. I, I think if you love what you're doing, you're happy. I mean, I, I, I spend way more time working than I guess people would say if you want an equal balance, but I don't feel like I'm out of balance. Yeah. My wife and kids don't feel like we're out of balance. I think what's really important is, though, that family always comes first. You know, you might be at work a lot. But there has never been a time here that one of our employees has said, I got to go pick up my kid. She's sick. Or my kid's sick. Can I stay home? Or, you know, my, my grandmom is in the hospital. She's old. I don't leave work and go see your grandma. You never know if it's the last time. Mm-hmm. And I think if you always put family first and make it a priority to make sure people take care of their family first, when you need to be there taking care of your family, they'll be there. You know, for example, our, our chief operating officer, when I lost my daughter last year, she was on her honeymoon. She ended up working her entire honeymoon. 
because yeah. I couldn't be at work that week. That's freaking And amazing. not only did she work her entire Gemma? honeymoon. Yes, Gemma. Shout out to you, yeah. Gemma. <laughs> you know, not only, and also shout out to her husband, DC, who did not divorce her for working That's her entire huge. honeymoon. Like, because I think, though she knows, I would give her that same thing back. Yeah. He knows that I would give them that same thing back. So I think when, if you try your best to take care of the people that work for you, so that, they know their families always come first, but that their families know that they're first in my yes. eyes. When I need their help, they'll allow their significant other to be first. Would you say that's like the values of the company? Like if someone's like still trying to figure out their values, they need to sit down and extract what is their values? Like, do they, what's the, is it always, you know, for me, like I, I talk about my values, the top two first, cause it matters which one's first or not is heart centered leadership and then results driven outcomes, right? But that I had to extract because even if I have a few VAs, I, I show that to them, I teach that to them. This is the values I have, but this is also how I lead. So I hope they do the same. Where if it was results-driven outcome first, I would look at her on her honeymoon and be like, hey, like, look, I need you to work because we need to get the results. And I know you're there, but instead it's like, no, you don't have to work if you don't have to. Like, because yeah, yeah, that's yeah, heart centered yeah. first, right? right? But I'm that's, not going to ask you to. She wanted to because she knew I would do the same thing for her if she was going through a hard time. So have you and, extracted um, values like that before or like to build this company or what would you? I think just from the very beginning, we've always tried to make it really clear that, you know, family always comes first. And also part of a way of putting your family first is working hard because Everyone here has an opportunity. Everyone here is an owner of this company. Every mm. single employee has equity in this That's company. Cool. Every single employee in this company has the opportunity to go home a millionaire when we sell this thing. And if you're hiring the right people, that should motivate people. And you look, we have a lot of, you know, we're in tech. We have a lot of young folks that work for us. That This could be life-changing money for their families, for their kids. You can pay off a house cash. You can buy a vacation house. You know, we're not there yet, but we will be hopefully, you know, not hopefully. We will be you there will one be. day. Yeah. And, um... I, I think that helps that, you know, part of putting family first is also working hard. Yeah. But I think if you show and, you know, like we've had times where people have, again, maybe not had a family member die, but was sick, go take off. And they're like, really? Yeah, it's not PTO. Like, go be with that person. You know, I think another part that's really important is people ask us all the time if we're like at work or if we're hybrid or what's going on in this new world. And I, I don't say we're any of those things. I like to say we're workplace flexible. I do believe there's value when, and look, there's some jobs you can work remote. I get it. But when you're creating and innovating something big and new and special, there's value to all of us being under one roof, collaborating with each other, talking with each other. You know, some of the best ideas for our product come over pizza at lunch that wouldn't have yeah. happened on a schedule. Or, or a hot shower, you know, after work. Right. And you get those aha But, um, you know, so like, I do want our employees in the office, but... Ones that live further away can work at home on Mondays and Fridays. Yeah. We all work from home on Fridays because, again, where we live, a lot of people like to go to the mountains or the beach on yeah. the weekends. So this way they can get a head start against traffic, go down Thursday night, work from wherever they are Friday. But also what that workplace freedom means is, you know, we have a lot of moms that work here. Some of them are single moms that would have had to have a babysitter take their kid. If they had to be mm. at work by 9 o'clock and stamp a clock at, you know, a time card at 9 o'clock, well, if you got to drop your kids off at 9 and you get here at 9.35, you can come in at 9.35. Yeah. If you need to leave at 3 to get your kids from school instead of staying here till 5, you can leave at 3. Because I know there's this, those are the same people that are still answering emails and working 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night on the weekends. We really have a good culture here of getting good people, trusting them to do their job. Yeah. Do your job when it makes sense. 
You don't need to sit here and stare at a clock till 5 p.m. Go home when you need to. But I, I think, again, that, that flexibility, not only do they see and appreciate that, their spouse or significant other sees it, their kids see it. Yes. So that then when they do need to work a night or a weekend or travel for a week, their significant other or kids understand that because they, they respect that we gave them that freedom. So now they need to give us a little bit back too. So good, yeah. And you listening right now, like if you're a solopreneur, entrepreneur, ser- serial entrepreneur, like these are values he's sharing. Like you're sharing the values, which is family means everything. You're flexible as, as long as they get the results done, I'm assuming, but like right. you're not holding them regimented. Like the times have changed. So like take this knowledge, this wisdom and, you know, next time you hire a VA or you have your first employee or your 10th employee, like you don't need to have them so regimented, you know, like have standards, but let there be flexibility because no one wants to be in a prison, right? right. Just open up the barrier so big that they're free range doing whatever they want, but that there is still some barriers, but it's so far they don't look like barriers. They're just fences. Yeah. And the other thing is too, hiring the right people and also noticing that like, I'm a big believer that experience doesn't mean anything. Now look, if you're going to be a nurse, yeah, you got to have the experience, you got to have the education for it. Yeah. If you're going to be a data scientist for us or a software engineer, yeah, you need to know data, you need to be able to write code. But for the overwhelming majority of positions in a company, I, people always ask me when we're interviewing someone, do you want the resume? No, I don't care. Why? Anyone can fake a resume. Any, what I care about are two things, work ethic and personality. Because they're the only two things you can't fake and they're the only two things you can't teach somebody. You can teach any reasonably intelligent person how to do almost any job out there. But you work ethic and personality, people learn long before they're old enough to enter the workforce. So if you hire people with a good personality, good work ethic, you can teach them how to do the rest. And then chances are you're more aligned with that because I can't stand people with bad work ethic. Yeah. And anyone with a good personality can sell something or can help in brand a company they just have a good personality and they're willing to talk about it. I mean, it's not that hard. Dude, drop the mic on that. Those two things, like hearing it from a man that's about to have a multi-billion dollar exit and, and just blessing so many people's lives. Like we overthink those two things, work ethic and it's personality. It's really simple. It's not that hard. So good. You know, as, as we get close to the sh- end of the show here, I do, you know, we do have a lot of uh, people that maybe are very, very new to investing. Uh, even myself, I'm I'm pretty new to it. It's like I haven't personally experienced it. I've been around a lot of people that way. But can you just break down for someone that doesn't really understand this process of investing? You're mentioning Series A, Series B, like all these things. Like just break down 60 seconds or less. What does this investment process look like from being a startup or being a new company to the ultimate exit? Yeah, I think if you're a company that is a startup that's going to need to raise capital or um, you know raise money, it kind of typically goes down a couple of things. You start with doing a friends and family round. Okay. And the theory on that is later stage investors will invest in you if your friends and family believed in you. Mm. But if your friends and family didn't believe in you enough to give you money, then I as a stranger am not giving you my money. That's so and good. I didn't know that when I started. I didn't think about that either. Yeah, like when I did a quote unquote friends and family round when I started, I wasn't soliciting money from my friends and family. I was just, as I was telling them what I was doing, they're like, wow, that's a great idea. Can I give you 25 grand? I think we raised $152,000 in a friends and family round. That was just people saying, I'll give you money. And then from that friends and family round, most companies, and it, it's different for everybody. Most companies then do a seed round. You know, that's where you're just trying to raise enough money. Like the friends and family round helped you kind of get the idea off the ground, maybe an MVP built. But then that seed rounds what allows you to get some initial traction, 
maybe hire a couple people. Um, people do seed rounds one of two ways. You know, some of them will do it through institutional investors, you know, venture capital firms that specialize in investing in seed rounds. Other people will do it through strategic accredited investors. And that's a key thing too. Once you get past that friends and family round, like you can't just be going and taking five bucks from people, 10 bucks from people. They need to be what you call an accredited investor, mm -hmm. which basically means people have enough money that they can afford to lose it if it goes sour, because a lot of investments do. Um, that they're educated enough in finances to make a strategic decision when they're doing it. Um, and then from that seed round, you know, again, it goes different ways, but then there's typically a series A where a company might raise 5 million or 20 million. And that's what really takes it from like that idea and that MVP to starting to build a company, mm -hmm. starting to prove replicatable success and metrics, you know, starting to prove that there is market fit. Okay, you know, I have... 10 salespeople, each salesperson we've learned is good for $1 million a year in revenue. Okay, that's replicatable now that if I go raise more money in a B round, now maybe we have 100 salespeople, good for a million dollars a year in revenue, we can do 100 million. Like you're trying to find that fit. But also after that series A round, at least from what I've experienced, it's kind of the last round you're gonna get. And that's only a mix of individual accredited investors. Sometimes it's strictly institutional investors. Okay. It might just be one person. We saw the value, and this this goes, again, I, I'm not an expert here. I'm, I can't sure, I don't know if I should be giving advice, but like most people say get as money from as few people as you can because it makes things easier and cleaner, less right. chefs in the kitchen. Yes, yes. I've I was heard, a believer, though, too. of doing the A round of, well, if they're strategic and they're smart, I want as many people around me <laughs> as could make introductions and help me. So we did it a little unorthodox. Uh, and then after that A round is, you know, we've just completed our A round. You start getting into that point of, there's a fit. Like you've proven you have something here. You've proven that you have the ability to build a rocket ship or you've yeah. built one. And now you need the rocket fuel, which is the most yeah. expensive part. And then you get into what they call these growth rounds, series B and C, where you might go raise significant capital. At this point, it's definitely just institutional investors um, to really raise significant money, $100 million, $200 million, wow. to really throw that lighter fluid on it. Um, and that's kind of where we are. You know, we're, we're in between that A round and that B round. Okay. Um, for those people that are looking to, if they're starting the kind of company when they're gonna need to raise money, you know, the, the best advice I can give to them is, you know, start early with that friends and family round and ask people for advice and get as much opinions as you can. Take every meeting you can get. It's funny, somebody told me at the very beginning, when you ask people for money, you typically get advice. When you ask people for advice, you mm. typically get money. And I actually found that to be really true. As I would be asking people for advice on what to do, they'd give me the advice and be like, you know what? Let me give you some money behind it. Mm. But anytime I ask for money, they just, they give me advice as to go where, where to find it. Um, but I, I think you gotta have a good product. Um, and, I, and I think you need to be willing to prove people why you deserve their money. There's people that wanna go start a company and just go raise a million dollars or like, they don't wanna put any of the sweat into it and the work into it. Like, you need to prove why you deserve somebody's money, why they deserve, why they should trust you with it. And a lot of people aren't willing to do that. They, they see these stories of companies that raise all this money and they think it's like this fairy tale world. Like, oh, that's, I'll go raise a hundred million dollars or a billion dollars and I'll be worth X. And it's, it, it's no, like you gotta, you gotta prove why someone should give you their money. And then mm -hmm. each step of the way, do your best to get the best return on that investment, spend it the best way possible. And that can be different for everything that you're doing. Um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of like the series yeah. a lot of companies Dude, that, go through. I mean, I learned so much through that, and you're listening. I'm sure you felt <laughs> the same. Like, I wanted to hear from someone that's going through it. I know you're not the expert in that, and we yeah. don't hold you to that, but you do have the practice on it. And 
And this is also inspiring. You know, this is so inspiring on the sense of this man was just in the fitness industry, working in sales, working in the, you know, the offices and such. But like now you're running a tech company and it's because of the passion, the dream. And, you know, like if you're listening right now, just realize that that could be you. Like if you have the hustle, the, the work ethic and the personality. Yeah. Right? And, and if you're willing to put in the work, you know, put and- in the work. It's, and that work, you know, it doesn't have to be every day, but it's got to be a continuous thing. And, you know, what, one of my things, cause look, it's still hard now. Like, you know, yeah, it's a lot easier than it was before, but I mean, this is stressful. There's still days that are really, really hard. And I actually wish I got this advice before or heard this advice before, but I guess maybe in some way I was doing it. But one of my favorite things is from Ed Milet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to interview him on Dave Metzler's uh, show office hours, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners probably also listen to oh, yeah. and follow Ed Milet and you know his power of one more. And when he talks about that, and I'm not going to do it service, you should listen to it from him. But you know, the whole thing was about you know his father that was an alcoholic, mm. and you know, he asked him one day, Daddy, are you going to stay sober forever? And he said, I don't know, son, but I'm going to stay sober for one more day. And then you know, he taught that to Ed, and Ed took that as when things are tough, just don't quit for one more day. You know, there was mm. times where Ed was building his business, and his dad would say, Hey, is it hard? Are you thinking about quitting? He's like, yeah, that I am. And he said, you know what? Just don't quit for one more day. And that's been my mentality that mm. if you can just not quit for one more day, and then tomorrow, don't quit for one more day again. Yeah. And then tomorrow, one don't quit for time. one more day again. Things will, if you're doing all the right stuff, and again, coming back to laboring under correct knowledge, if you keep not quitting for one more day, as Ed would say, and if you're laboring under the correct knowledge that's given to you, you hanging on for one more day, eventually the things will fall into place. So good, my friend. Well, we need to use life, friend. Every one of us, like, how do how how does someone right now listening, whether on YouTube, whether on podcasts, how do they get that free analysis where they see that college photo where they said something they should have said or showing something yeah, they should have shown? Where do they it's go? It's super easy. Whether you're an individual that wants it for yourself, whether you're somebody that wants it for your business. That's right. You, you could have it where the yeah, company, all yeah, your employees, companies buy it for all the employees. It's a great employee benefit at a low cost. Uh, go to lifebrand.life. You can get information on the business side of it or anybody can get a free social media health check. You can connect your social media accounts for free. And it shows two, two we'll of your We'll show posts. you two of them for free. Oh, that's exciting. But we'll show you how many total you might have. So oh. we'll say, look, out of your 3,800 posts you've ever done, 102 of them could be potentially problematic. We'll show you two for free. We'll show you the platform it was on, the date, if it was a picture of the picture. Wow. And then for a very small fee, you can upgrade to see all of them. You can choose to delete them. And look, you can choose not to also. We're not trying to say you have to delete them. We're not trying to say we're the judge and jury of what's right or what's wrong. We're just saying, hey, look, for some people, these types of posts could potentially get them in trouble. And going back to what we talked about earlier, be upfront with people. Guys, we're still new. So if you go to our website, our AI is super sensitive. We'll flag the word hell. Probably not the worst thing in the world. But our whole theory is while our artificial intelligence is learning, we'd rather flag everything and give you the chance to delete yes. it or ignore it yes. and let things slip through. So yeah, we will be hypersensitive. If you're standing in a bikini with a beer in your hand, even though you're not doing anything appropriate, it'll probably say partial nudity <laughs> and alcohol. We're giving you the chance that maybe it was too much. Maybe I'm gonna you have don't some want 30 topless or shirtless <laughs> I'm photos. I'm going to have some partial nudity photos <laughs> on there. I'm cleaning that up. That is so awesome, man. So go to lifebrand.life. Go get that. I mean, I literally want to go do that right now and see what it is. Maybe I'll put it on my social media and share, or I'll put it in the podcast. I'll figure that out. 
But brother, what's the best way people can find you besides the website? Yeah, lifebrand.life or lifebrand.life on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, me personally at Tommy J. Cola. Yeah, and follow this man because... Yeah, I need a following, guys. Help me out. Yeah, and you get to see, he puts his family first, which you'll see evidently through that, and it's really beautiful to see. Um, I got one question. What does it mean to create your strategic life? I think... for me, what it means to create my strategic life Well, I don't want is, you to talk about Vinny. Yeah. Like, yes, I want uh, yours. I think to create a strategic <laughs> life for me is to make sure my name leaves an impact like we mm. talked about earlier. But for me, it's all about leaving other people that come across me better. I want to make sure my kids are better. Again, going back to Ed Milet, you know, he always says somebody in that family tree is going to be the one mm. that changes that family that tree. Home. I want to be the one that changes ours. And not that, look, we came from a great middle-class upbringing. I had great parents. Whatever we had, we, we needed. You know, I mean, we didn't go on fancy, lavish vacations. You know, we had a, a beat-up, you know, station wagon. But, you know, look, if I wanted to play baseball, my parents could get me a glove. But uh, I'm going to be the one that changes that family tree for my kids. And um, I just want to make sure everyone that comes across me, for me, living a strategic life is hopefully I brought, you know, our relationship, I brought something into your life. I brought something into your listeners' lives. Vinny and Pete, I hope I brought something into their life, them working with me here. And um, same thing with my kids and family. I hope every one of them just for knowing me takes something from me that makes their life a little bit better. Amen. You did. You definitely did. I just got to acknowledge you on this. This has been such unique wisdom that you shared. I know this. a lot of people are going to be buzzing from this because there's not many other people that could speak on things like this. But not just speak on the, the actual facts, the, the the ability to raise money, to build businesses, but you have so much heart within it. I really do got to say that. Like, I'm, Thank you. I'm Thank very you. impressed. I didn't think it was going to be... I. I feel like extremely comfortable. I think we went longer than we expected to, but because I feel so comfortable because you lead by the heart. It's like Vinny and Peter over there, like these cameras are going to die. Yeah, they're, they're like, shut up. Yeah, they're like changing <laughs> the batteries over here. But I got to acknowledge you on that. And there's, there's without a doubt reasons why you're going to be building a, a billion dollar company. And then you're going to be onto something next and bigger. And, and the most beautiful thing is it's because you put the people first. So appreciate that. you inspire me. I, I want to build big businesses now, you know, and, uh, yeah, man. Glad to have you on the show and for having me in your studio here. No, I'm really this. glad to be here and really grateful that you flew out to be with us today. Absolutely. So. Thanks, brother. Right. Appreciate Thanks, it. Man. Appreciate it. All right. You heard it here on the Strategic Life Podcast. We had TJ in the building. Actually, I'm in his building, but that was powerful. You might have to listen to that one again just to extract through those stories. I try to really do that for you, but there were so many good stories that I just go listen to the, the mindset, the, the things that he had to do to stand out, the reason why people gave him money even though there's nothing really to the business is because they trusted in him. There was just so much that I get chills thinking about. So the only thing that we ask on this show is to screenshot the episode, whether you're watching on YouTube, watch, whether you're watching on any of your favorite podcast platform and tag us, you know, tag TJ. TJ, how do you spell your name on Instagram? T-O-M-M-Y-J-Cola, C-O-L-A. Tommy, Tommy J. J. Cola. Cola. Tag Tommy J. Cola. Tag at J. Cavron. You can even tag at lifebrand.life. Yep. And just put one takeaway that you got from this. And there's got to be at least 10 of them. But just put one and tag us because we love seeing that. But also we love the increase of growth and the increase of impact and the increase of reach. And you play a part of that. We can't, we only could do so much by ourselves. It takes you. So that's our one ask. I love seeing that. I'll be restoring anyone that uh, tags that. And also if you send us a message, I definitely will be letting TJ know what you said. So thanks for listening in. Thanks for tuning in. And until then, we'll see you in the next episode. And don't forget, create your strategic life. Talk to you soon.